Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we have the esteemed pleasure of speaking with a tech media mogul in China, Dr. Gong Lu, the founder of TechNode, the number one English language tech media in China. We discuss the ins and outs of the media landscape in China and how a young graduate with a doctorate in computer engineering educated in the UK goes on to become a media magnate in China. We discuss how the transformation in family dynamics has a non-trivial connection to the rise of innovation and entrepreneurship in China over the last decade, the future of the 996 work life in China, and some discussion around the US-China trade war and current state of blockchain technology. We also chat about something that he's been hard at work developing, something to rival CES in Vegas, the Beyond Tech Expo, planned for June of 2021 in Macau, one that he's hoping will be one of the first in-person tech events in Asia post-COVID. Enjoy. We were talking about like China, the Chinese tech is like 20 years or 30 years behind the, the U.S., but now it's not the case. In many sectors, we are kind of ahead of the U.S. I think we are truly competing with U.S. for Chinese company. They have to get ready for all the uncertainties. We we cannot hope say, hey, when Biden is there, things are going to be much better. Hopefully it will be better, but I don't think it will be much better. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technology. Gong, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. We are long time no see. Long time no see. You and I have known each other for, what, eight, nine years going on now? It's really good to hear from you. And uh, first of all, congratulations on just, uh, you know, as far as a lifetime of our relationship, a lifetime of success um, and how well things have gone uh, for you and for Technode and just being an industry leader in China. So congratulations on all that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I wanted to start by uh, diving a little bit into your background because uh, you actually studied computer science in the UK. And so how does a guy end up in the UK studying computer science and then come back to China and, you know, become the founder of the premier tech media in the whole country? Yeah, it's uh, well, it's it's very interesting path, uh, I have to say, because I did my computer, I, I did my PhD in computer science. I think the the whole thing started, you know, basically with my my personal blog. That was back to 2007 when I was still doing my PhD. And you know, when I started, it's, uh, you know, I have no intention or plan to be a journalist. To be honest, I just because I study in computer science, I love technology. So like one day I say, oh, maybe I can just you know start the writing. It's more like an online diary. You know, just you know, find anything I found interesting. I just write, just wrote it down, and you know, which become my personal blog. 
So that's how everything started. But but later on, I think that's what you know, 2007, 2006. So I started then I started to read, you know, tech blog like TechCrunch, like Mashable, and rewrite web at that time. Then I realized, oh, all these kind of technology blog, you know, you know, but basically I was I was learning a lot from all these blog because that times people talk about Web 2.0. There's so many startups, you know, started to you know kind of disrupting the world. You know, I was reading that and say, oh, this is so great. I didn't know our personal blog can can be so valuable. So I say, oh, so all these blogs are talking about like Western innovation, like innovation in Silicon Valley. So I say, oh, there's nothing, you know, from China. There are no kind of tech blog, you know, talk, talk, you know, talk about what's happening in China. I started to read, you know, tech blog like TechCrunch, Matchable is uh, basically that open a new world to me. But you know all these tech blog, they 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 all focus mostly they focus on Silicon Valley. I, I guess like obviously a lot of them, they understand what's happening in China. And for me, you know, I was in UK for seven years, but originally from China. So I say, oh, why not? You know, I I probably I I, I should try to write about China. You know, what's happening in China in tech space. Um, but instead of write everything, write everything in Chinese, I say maybe I should write in English. But the reason with that because you know I was in UK for seven years. I like all the English media I read about. I, I would say mostly they focus on two things, two kind of keywords. One is copycats. You know, ten years ago, right. which was true. I have to say, you know, we copied lots of things from Silicon Valley. The second keywords is uh, you know they they call uh, the censorship, right? Which I wouldn't you know give that my comment. I think it's is that happened, but you know just besides these two keywords, actually there are, there are, there are, there were innovations, even it's a kind of micro innovation, but basically nobody talk about that. So I say, oh, probably I should write something on my own. Then I reach out reach out to the Chinese startups, even like big tech companies, then started to learn how to do the interviews and started to learn how to, you know, try to be a journalist as a blogger. So that's how everything started. Um, but I think is, I've been doing that for you know, five or six years until 2012. Then you know some somebody you know some friends came to me and said hey you've been doing that as your hobby for so many years and you 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 love that I think even you are you are good at that so probably you should uh, do that as your career not just a hobby I think around 2012 I think that's really the China tech kind of innovation kickoff because the the mobile internet you know 3G the network 4G yeah we did see more and more startups. I think before 2011 or something, I think you didn't see that much, that many of startups. But after the 3G took off, the sudden you see the mobile internet really booming. We used to talk about how the big tech companies, the the BAT, used to exist in these walled gardens 
where in the U.S., it, at least on the surface, seemed more collaborative between companies like Google and Amazon, where you would search on Google, purchase on Amazon, and they would share the revenue. That was not the case back in the day in China. Um, Talk a little bit about maybe that more competitive versus collaborative ecosystem that was in China early in the days when there wasn't you know, maybe as much food on the table. So people were fighting harder for what they could get versus, as you describe it now, being more collaborative, not killing a startup or copying a startup, but working with and potentially acquiring a startup. Yeah, well, I think now I think you see still see two sides. You still, you know, people complain about the BATs or even other unicorns. Still, they're kind of dominating the whole thing. But on other sides, and you see the collaborations, more collaborations. Um, so, well, it's it's kind of tricky. Is we I think right now we have the open space, like open platforms. Maybe the multiple open platforms. You can work with uh, you know Tencent or Alibaba. They they all they all have their own kind of open platforms, which means the startups, even like individuals. You know they can basically you can you can they can they can pull the traffic from the Tencent or from Alibaba or even use their platform to make money, which was good. But it seems but this this part is open. But on the other other side, is it tricky is because you know Tencent has its own open space, mm. Alibaba has another one. So which means okay, but for for like startups, eventually they have to pick up okay which which side they're going to stand on. You know, they either go Tencent or go Alibaba. So I think every begin every beginning, it's kind of free space. You, you know, free to go. You can work with Alibaba because just more and Tencent both. But once you come big or even maybe after C round or, or D round, then you always you, you're going to see you need a kind of a strategic investor, which either Tencent or Alibaba. Then you see the open space become, you know, kind of partially open is open, but it's not that open because you have to stay at you know one zone, not like both zones. There hasn't always been sociological culture of welcoming innovation or even let's call it entrepreneurship. And I'm wondering because you have been watching and writing and following for what, you know, uh, 13, 14 years now. Can you speak a little bit uh, to something that I think about a lot, which is the one thing that I think has helped drive innovation and the rise of innovation and entrepreneurship in China so fast is how malleable the family dynamic has been, how it has changed in such a short amount of time, whereas that that top-down grandparents, parents, typically one child, that, that, that downward force on what that one child should do with their life, what they should study and what their job is, where they have relaxed the reins 
so quickly to allow the young to chase entrepreneurial dreams because a decade ago, they were not encouraged and it was frowned upon to chase entrepreneurial dreams. That has changed and it hasn't just changed. It's changed a lot and in a very short period of time. Well, again, it's a very good question as well. <laughs> um, I think it started from maybe five years ago. The government started, you see all the mainstream medias, yeah, because the, the biggest guy started talking about entre- entre- entrepreneurship and you know what the so-called mass innovation uh, in China it become kind of top-down campaign because basically everybody have to do that. Even you don't know what's the you know startups, but because big aside, big you know the big boss saying that, then everybody should follow. When the whole Chinese society started chasing the entrepreneurship, I think every beginning, I think after the first two or three years, I, I would say it's, it's kind of chaos because you see so much bubble there. You know, you know, even I think that very beginning, I think around like 2014, 2015, um, you see so many like co-working space, incubators, you know, actuators. There's so many, you know, starting like basically after like, you know, one night, you see so many across all China. Then you, even I felt that times, oh, we even have had more incubators than startups. When you look into all these accelerators, so-called accelerators, incubators, and then you realize, oh, the guys behind all these incubators, they know nothing about the startups. They know nothing about like mentorship. They, all these guys, that many of them actually, they come from the real property business. Mm-hmm. They, they, can get fund, they can get funding from the government, you know, as long as they say, oh, they want to turn the space into co-working or incubator to support startups because they couldn't, because the, the, the economy, the, the real property business was bad, right? They cannot really rent the space, but then the government say, oh, if we do that, if we, do, if we support startups, we can give some fundings. Then that's why you see so many um, so actually, there are lots of people complaining about it and say, hey, you know, what's, what's happening there? And then, you know, the government is doing something really bad actually to kind of destroy the, the ecosystems, right? Even if it looks nice. But if you look at another, you know, another part, I think that's that's true, because I think, but, but if you see what happened in the past two or three years, you see everything come down, then become, you know, from the chaos, then everybody realize, oh, what's it really about? But we spend three years, maybe even more, to learn. But I think that's a kind of learning curve. Even lots of resources, I would say, like wasted. But but now, you know, we are on probably on the right track now. But also on the other side, I think as I just mentioned, I think personally, I think that's um, that will that will bring you know, a huge value and. Um, potentials to the society or Chinese societies is you look at the you know what I'm working on now I think even four years even four years five years ago if you ask my my parents they never understand what I'm doing you know because I go to my PhD in UK you know you know the the, the day from day one I moved back from UK to China my parents always asking oh why not just you can, if you, you can just go to the university become lecturer or professor and you don't really, you don't really need to worry about like the pay, blah blah. You know, so and 
you know, even, you know, we did lots of things in you know, the media events, but still they don't, they, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but suddenly, you know, starting from five years ago, they suddenly, you know, my parents started reading startups, entrepreneurship from all the mainstream newspapers, TVs, they realized, oh, actually probably that was not that bad, you know, to, to do something you knew because the government say that. So I think now they kind of understand what I'm doing, but, and also, you know, I think for, for the generation, like my generation, I think because we are kind of, uh, in the, in the curve of, uh, this kind this type of campaign. So I can, I pretty sure like the, the, my generation, we would encourage, my kids or our kids, if one day when they grow up and say, Hey, Hey father, I want to do something on my own. I, I, I would 100% support it because, you know, I, I learned a lot. I, I was in the curve. I know what's happening. I think that's why I always telling, you know, friends, Hey, say, Hey, even still, you don't think you, if you still think, don't think there are no innovation in China, but in probably in 10 years, when our next generation grow up, you're gonna see that because the parents are gonna support them. I think that will be, I think that will be huge potential for the China, you know, for the Chinese tech space. Well, you haven't just been an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur founding and developing a media company in what I would say is probably one of the most difficult countries in the world to do media having a background and I used to do a magazine in my past. So I have some small taste of what it was like. Um, And as a foreigner, I don't ever suggest you go to China and try to start a media company, just FYI. However, so you, you, I mean, (laughs) you didn't just do a difficult thing. You did a difficult thing in one of the most difficult sectors. Can you talk to us a little bit about what media is like in China um, and what is the business start with you. What is what is doing a media company like in China, just generally speaking? And then what is the business side of media? How does that look for other business owners who listen to this podcast and think about doing business in China? What is the business side of doing media in China look like when you're trying to survive, make money, bring in revenue, do events and conferences and how COVID has potentially impacted that at the end of that? Yeah, I think doing doing media business, it's uh, it's really tough in China. I think because we, I think the, the Chinese media space is uh, totally different from, I would say like from the Western media. I think ecosystem is uh, is also very different. I think, for example, well, it's um, I, I think it's still is it's bad, but but still, if you do if you look at the media. I think not that much respect on the copyrights still in China, but copyrights is a key is that, you know, for, for the media, which means in China, if you look at the Chinese media space, still, you see lots of media, they copy from each other. The, the translate the Western, the English media into Chinese without copyrights is still happening. And, and the bad thing is not that much complain about it, you know, People basically get used to that. Because of that, then if you look at the media business, how the media make money, advertisement for sure. 
then the advertisement in China, I think the pricing is much lower than the Western, uh, to my understanding. Secondly, because because advertisement is like you know the, the you know advertisement based on like the, the page view blah blah the the price is so low so which means for the media they have to fight they have to go for so called sponsorship sponsored articles which means like PR articles and which I think is it, it's it, it's okay but in China. Actually, there's so many medias. Basically, if you pay them, you can get something out, which kind of uh, destroy the ecosystems. But that's how the Chinese medias make money. Then, if you look at the UN side, you know, for if we go, if we just take an example, like you know, we work with uh, TechCrunch. I think if we go TechCrunch events in Silicon Valley. For the tickets, you pay over $1,000 or even more to get a ticket tickets because they're very valuable events. I think it makes totally sense. Um, so for TechCrunch, for the organizer or the media, it's, uh, I think it's okay revenues, even char- you know, from the ticket price, you know, ticket sales and all of course the sponsors. But in China, you know, you've been in China for so long, you know, most of the Chinese events, the Chinese event in China, they are free. Basically, people don't really want to buy tickets, which means for the events organizer as a media, if you cannot sell the tickets, whether you have to rely on the sponsorship, then if you want to get more sponsorship, which means you have to sell the, the, the keynote slot, the panel, to someone, even you don't like it, you know, some company, even you don't, you know, they are talking bullshit. Yeah. But that's happening. I think for the media in China is the, the, the I, I would say probably mo- the, the media here, they don't, they didn't want to do that at the beginning, but they have to survive. So they have to compromise in with the, background in the, 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 the economy or the, the environment. So, and also you have to think about copyright as well. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's tough business in China. Does that, um, do, it makes me think of culturally, is it understood as we understand, I guess in the West, it, you get what you pay for. So if you're not going to be willing to pay for events, do they understand that you're not going to get a great experience? You're going to get a diluted panel of speakers. You're going to get potentially an advertisement disguised as a keynote from the CEO of a sponsoring company. You know, do, do they understand that by not paying for tickets that they're not going to get a great product or is this still something that is on the learning curve in China? I think, I think still on the learning curve. Um, I, I would say, um, well, I, I think that's a, that's a fact. I don't know when it's going to be end, but I think they're going to last for, for a long, long times. It's, it's become, probably I think it's kind of a culture it's hard to change. It's it's like 
Well, it's like for the software industry, I think, you know, five or 10 years ago, the nobody in China pay for download the software, or right? Oh, you can find the cracked version, right? But now you see the change and the more people they're willing to pay, I think that which is the good side, but you know, how, how many years you took, you know, took 10 years, even more than that. And then people say, oh, I really, you know, the, the started, you know, people started realize, oh, if we pay is so less, so much less hustle. You know, you know, uh, comparing, you know, downloading a crack version, mm. and, and also for for the money you pay, you know, like three hundred RMB or or a bit more, it's it's okay money for most people. Then you see, oh, people willing to pay, people willing to pay like QQ, like Spotify's or QQ Music for the copyright music, you know, the songs, yeah, and for the for the videos as well. So you see the change, but. It took 10 years or even more than that. Let's talk a little bit about, let's talk about Beyond, the Expo in Macau. Tell us what it is, why it is, when it is, and tell us all the things. Because this is, sounds really exciting. And you're kind of betting on on travel uh, being a thing, right? You're, 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 gonna, you're like, okay, COVID killed everybody else. I'm going to be the first one when it comes back. But tell us a little bit more about Beyond. Yeah, so so beyond Expo, so basically beyond beyond is uh, uh, the international uh, technology expo we are planning to hold in Macau next year. Exactly, actually, in next well, actually this year in June. Um, so why why we are planning to do that? So I think we started thinking about this actually even before the pandemic. And that was like, you know, one year and a half ago. So, so basically, you know, we've been doing at the media company, we've been kind of uh, watching the Chinese tech ecosystems. And, and by the way, we had a small office in Singapore. So we started to looking at the Southeast Asia or Asia in general, the, the, tech, sp- the, the tech space outside China. So we, we've been tracking the, 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 the tech ecosystem in Asia for so long, probably we used to have only one kind of innovation center, which is Silicon Valley. But now you see more and more innovations happening in not just in China, and also I think in the, the, the Asian region, in the Japan, Korea, and Southeast Asia, probably not that techy, but the market is there. The, is, you know, it's like next to China. Um, in terms of the size of the market. So there's so much happening in, in Asian um, market, but why people go to CES uh, in Las Vegas, right? And also probably more than 50% of companies in at the CES actually they come from China, right? I think also maybe half of the, the Chinese company come from Shenzhen, by the way. Um, so. But why people go there? Because they want to access the Western market. They want to get attention from the English media or international media. So that's why people want to go there. Um, it's a great event. But if you look at the landscape, the whole the global tech space, there, there are so many companies. They are actually they are not in 
States anymore. They are not in Europe. Actually, they are in China. They are they are in the Asian countries. And but then we need not just events. Actually, we need a platform. So basically, to bring everybody every year to the same platform to showcase what they are doing, what their technologies, what their innovations in the Asian region. We used to have, actually we have CES Asia, we have MWC Asia, but personally, I don't think if the new CES Asia compare with the new CES in, in Vegas, the MWC in Shanghai compare with the MWC in Barcelona, I think it's a totally different level, right? Um, but but again, CS Asia they are still doing okay job, but you know, but then last year you know because of pandemic and maybe because of a China US trade war as well, CS CS Asia make an announcement say CS Asia is canceled forever. So basically, the no CS in Asia anymore. Then the little space actually the no a, a big tech fair or tech expo in Asia. But we need one because there's so many have so much thing happening in, in, in Asia. And so basically we need uh, we need something here starting in well, in Asia. Then so that's I think that's something we've been planning. But then we say well, why people go to Las Vegas for CES? Not just for the show, not just for 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 the demo, for the business. I think those people going there is also for parties, right? For social networking, for entertainment, and, the, and also at the tourist, yep. right? It's basically, you know, CES not just like just just it's not just like Expo, but basically it's the, the, the party for the global tech tech thing. Then then we look at oh, so if we want to do something in Asia, what be the probably the best cities? Then compared with that, then Macau obviously is the Uyghurs in Asia, right? So oh, so why not we we try to do something in Macau? Then the later on, actually we we then I met um to my partner actually he is well collected in Macau, so so we started talking about the idea. They say hey oh. So the one day we, we made the decision say, oh, since we have uh, the resources, um, well, even so hard, but we should try something and to build, hopefully that will be the leading, you know, tech expo in Asia. Um, so we don't, so we compare with CES, but we don't really want to, but it's more like, so hopefully is, is like every January people go to CES for the EU for American market, but in the second half of the year, people can fly into Macau to access the Asian market. You know, plus, you know, of course the Chinese market as well. And so I think that's the major reason we want to do that. But secondly, because if you look at the Macau, is you know the small space mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but macau is also international city we the macau government is also quite supportive to our idea i think because 
when they look at this, is, you know, Macau, they want to, because their economy, they build up, I think, if I remember that right, I think more than 80% of revenue come from casino in Macau in the past, you know, many, many years. And they realize it's not that right. They want, they have to diverse, basically to change the economy, their like structures. And so they, they want to work on more like, you know, tech, that they get more like, you know, events, exhibitions. Um, so I think they, they love the idea. And also what do they learn from Vegas? I think probably the same thing. If you look at the Vegas, the city, you, you probably you couldn't find that many of, of, of tech company based in Vegas. It's the same in Macau, but still they can attract every year. The tech company go there to have fun, to kick off the business and start the conversation. I think Macau want kind of uh, to take the role, the similar role uh, in the Asian region as well. Even we set up the day in June, but I have to say, we 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 are we are watching closely the how the situation when it goes uh, with the pandemic. And um, actually, we have backup days, but we would announce that uh, until probably March. Um, to see, I think until March, we're going to see, you know, the situation there. If they're going worse, we're going to change the day. But as you said, uh, and I think which is true is we we really want to be the first kind of offline big export uh, after the pandemic. Do you think that China is potentially a little bit behind on design and will they catch up? Yeah, I think, I think it's still a little bit behind. But it's catching up. Um, I think if you see the hardwares, you know, you know, you made in China, all the hardwares is uh, much, much better. You know, look at the phones, you know, look at speakers, all the hardwares. You can really feel we, we didn't have any industrial designs concept behind like five years or 10 years ago. But now it looks nice and also it's cheap and also technology is good as well. So we are trying, you know, it's usually catching up. But still, we, I think we're still kind of behind. Is probably this, you know, I would say because I I'm I was a programmer myself. I think my 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 understanding is, you know, technology. You know, from the technology angle, you know, you can basically you can you can uh, you you if you buy a two or three programming book, you can learn to how to program. Right. Then after maybe three or four years, you can be a okay programmer. Uh, but in terms of like you're talking about design, I think it's all about it's really you cannot really become a good designer. Just look at the book, right? You have to learn from the very beginning and you know you have to have the basically have the feeling. And I think you can it's not something you can learn from the book, then I think that that's why I think that which means you're gonna see we have to wait for a bit longer for like young generations um, to have, you know, to, to have more sense of, uh, you know, basically to have the design sense. I think that's, that's going to take longer times. Um, but I, I'm quite confident with that because we already see, you know, the good designers. I think the, I was talking to a professor who was the head of uh, the design department um, and he, he told me 
almost 98% of the graduate student from the design you know, department, they went, they went to tech companies. So that means it's a huge demand from the Chinese tech company realize that, okay, they need designers, not just the programmers. And, and also, if you look at 10 years or even beyond, and look at all these kids, or Jin Y or Jin Z, all these kids, the Chinese kids, they started learning English from year three, year four. I think maybe they are not, they're going to speak that much, you know, but, but still, you see the the parents, so they're able, well, they're willing to spend money or resources you know, on, on their kids and to try almost everything. I think that's, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are going to be more like young designers coming uh, mm-hmm. in ways. Do you think the 996 kind of work culture policy timeline, what have you, is is still going on? You know, there was the recent death of the PDD employee. What are your thoughts on the 996? Is it still happening? Is it still relevant? Or are we moving past it in China? I think it's, uh, well, well, that is, well, it is the bad news, you know, know, what happens with PDD guys. But I don't think that's going to change that much. And I mean, 996 culture and because, well, it's, it's become kind of culture is for almost all the hardworking startups, right? They know, because, you know, you're in China, I think you, you understand, I think that probably one of the key to many Chinese to succeed is that they're working harder. Yeah. Um, I think I heard lots of stories why like Xiaomi can beat, you know, some overseas competitors, not because they are smarter, they're just working harder. Mm-hmm. And, and for this, for the, you know, we talk about like Chinese, the tech, tech industry, even so many like fascinating things happen in China, but still the competition in China is still tough. And as we said, all the sectors, you are not just looking at like one or two competitors. You are looking at the tens or hundreds of competitors to do the same things. Maybe focus on different market, you know, geographically, but still you have to compete with them. The only way to work out is you have to work harder and move faster. So because of that, you as a startup or a tech companies, you you have to. But all that matters is is you know we need to care more about our staff and our colleagues, but which doesn't mean we're going to kind of cut off line nine six. I don't think that's going to happen. What are you seeing, hearing, and potentially even feeling yourself at Technode because of this China USA trade war that's going on right now? I think that's what going going to last long. The trade war will still be there, no matter who's the boss. We, we talk about the technologies. We talk about like 5G or 6G. That's all the infrastructure for the for technology space. And that means a lot. From the China side, we totally understand what, it, uh, what we are missing in our you know, tech space, what we have to have something our own. And I think on the US side, they already realize is, is we were talking about like China, the China tech is like 20 years or 30 years behind the, the U.S., but now it's not the case. In many sectors, we are kind of ahead of the U.S. I think we are truly competing with U.S. for the China company. They have to get ready for 
all the uncertainties. We we cannot hope say hey when Biden is there things are going to be much better. Hopefully it will be better, but I don't think it will be much better. Yeah, that's uh, that's business, I guess. Bitcoin aside, because I know that can be a bit of a hot button topic with regards to regulatory issues going on with the Chinese government as they are still trying to figure out what their stance is going to be, what they want Bitcoin to be and what they want to do with cryptocurrency in China. But talk about blockchain as as a platform. Where do you see that fitting in? How how, where does China play? Is, is China really getting on the forefront of blockchain technology and are they using it and developing with it? Or are they? is it a wait and see game? Well, I think at least from what I read, it's, uh, it seems that blockchain is, um, well, even, even on the government side, I think they pay a lot of attention to the blockchain technologies. And you know, with the, all the industry we are talking to, the like logistics, even like the fashion business, of course, the smart, you know, like everybody's uh, talking about blockchain and when people understand you know, what exactly the blockchain can can kind of the bring the, that can disrupt the traditional model. So I, th- I think it's, um, also I don't have that much knowledge about that because um, I didn't pay that much attention, but but just, just based on you know, my reading, if all the infrastructure technology, like five, you know, given like five G big data, as examples, China. Why the China the also is moving so fast? You know, because I think China, for many reasons, is is able to open the market to adopt like the new applications built on the infrastructures. You know, like the five G. You know, we are, I don't know, I think technology, you know, you know we don't know that is the Huawei's 5G technology is better than somebody else. We don't know. I think most people don't know. But what do we know as a consumer, as a, just like the human being or as a normal user, is we see more applications built on 5G in China now. The, the data, big data, you know, we don't, as a user, probably we don't, care that much about the the privacy blah blah you know that's kind of cover you know controversial but only at the application level we see so many applications which make our life easier right i think for maybe that's what happened the same pattern will happen to blockchain as well we don't care about like what's called blockchain about but but people are open to the applications then the industry also they want to try the applications, other try the blockchains as well. Then the the blockchain will become more probably probably China will be the first to commercialize blockchain uh, technologies uh, in 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 different different industries. Uh, I think that's uh, something I can tell. Gong Lu, founder of Technode, and. I can honestly say, dear old friend of mine from from all of my days in China, thank you very much for coming on the show, my friend. Thank you so much. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. 
My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.